Sometimes I lay under the moon. I thank God I'm breathing. And I pray, don't take me soon. Cause I am here for reasons. Sometimes in my tears I drown. But I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know the woman at the well. I come to the well in the heat of the day alone to avoid the sneers and the gossiping wagging tongues that cut into my already broken heart. I avoid the painful ignorance and the lack of loving care. Shame, it is my only covering. My men, they have all thrown me away for those that are younger and prettier than I. The shattered pieces of my life lay scattered all around me, leaving a trail of tears, desperate to be loved, shattered and scattered as my soul. And then, he, the king, the Messiah, Yeshua, he came to meet me, me, at the well. He told me all about myself. He didn't shame me. He didn't blame me. He didn't chastise me. He forgave me, he accepted me, and he healed and delivered me. He fulfills all my hopes of an abiding, undying love that will never end. Hey everybody, welcome to a modern day Samaritan woman, healing for the nations. So I'm so excited you, you are all here. We have a great show for you. And I'm super excited that my sidekick, Shell, is here. Hi. Hey, welcome, <laughs> Shell. <laughs> Good to see you, Laura Lee. Good to see you, Shell. So I'm really excited about what the Father is bringing forth today. And so we have a lot to cover. So let's get started. All right. Let's bring up your PowerPoint. Here we go. So this is Roots of Addiction, part two, and I love these slides. Can you go back, please? Yes. So I love this slide, and I apologize because it's not really clear, but so we're talking about the roots of addiction, and in the root system, we see physical abuse, spiritual abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, mm -hmm. and the emotions, the shame, the loneliness, the fear, the mm -hmm. grief, and anger, bitterness. There's all sorts of emotions that are normal human emotions from being abused. Yeah. And, and so we like to talk about the fruit. And so let's look at the branches. The branches represent the addictions religious addiction, sexual addiction, gambling, mm -hmm. um, there's drugs, there's alcohol, there's a plethora of different addictions. And of course, if you've got a bad root system, you're not going to have healthy fruit. <laughs> That's for sure. Absolutely. So next, 
So for those of you that are not familiar, you don't know who I am, my name is Loralee Cummings, and I'm a former credentialed substance abuse counselor and also a uh, former certified addiction recovery coach in the state of New York, and I've also worked here in Florida. That's where I reside is Florida. So I also do a radio show on Hebrew Nation Radio. And it's called Healing for the Nations with a Modern Day Samaritan Woman. And I'm presently enrolled in an academy called Give Her Wings. And I'm studying to become a domestic violence advocate. Mm -hmm. So I want to uh, give you a trigger warning. Please practice self-care. If this becomes too intense, intense for you, you can always come back. And um, so Shell and I have you prayed up that you would hear the Father. And we are praying that the captives be set free. Hallelujah. 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 So the question is not what is wrong with you. The question is what happened to you? It's not you. It's your programming. So we're going to look at the alcoholic family system. We're also going to just touch on spiritually abusive family system. And I love that religious trauma syndrome, religious mm. trauma syndrome. Mm. And snapshot of abusive family systems also. So the, the family roles in abuse are similar to addiction. So we have the abuser, we have the different roles, a hero, child, scapegoat, and that and, and enabler. Mm -hmm. So the big difference, the partner's main problem is not their codependency, it's being abused. Yeah. Yeah. So a little glimpse of the narcissistic family tree. Shell and I were just talking about um possibility of doing a whole show on narcissism because it's a huge it's a huge topic it really is it is yeah has a lot to say about drinking alcoholically proverbs 23 has the most striking warnings there are many other verses throughout the scriptures giving warning about drunkenness so um drugs and alcohol so I'm sure that many of you have heard the word pharmakia. So pharmakia is um, the Greek word for pharmacy. And it's um, poisoning, it's sorcery, magical arts, often found a connection with idolatry and fostered by it. Yeah, yeah fostered by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of us, we are, we are, we are in the know about pharmacia. Yeah. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has fights? Who has complaining? Who has bruises for no reason? Who has red eyes? <laughs> Great scripture. I love that scripture. Yeah. Proverbs so 20. 23, 29, because some, you know, some of our broadcasts go out just by podcast. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, well, I really like the next one. Proverbs 23, 35. Shall, I wonder if you can identify with this one. They hit me and I was not hurt. They beat me and I don't feel it. When will I wake up? I can do it again. I can find another one. I'm telling you, when I read that, the first time I read that, I'm like, oh, my stars. I get that. As, as a former uh, full-blown alcoholic, I used to do body scans in the morning because, um, you know, I'd get blasted, drunk, and I was a blackout drinker. I wouldn't remember hardly anything of the night before, but I'd wake up all bruised up and hurting unit. Yeah, I totally relate that same thing happened to me the first time I saw that scripture. I was like, that's like my life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I thought of you when I saw this. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I used to have a wine glass that was like this big. It was a bowl. <laughs> How many drinks have you had? Me, only one. That's right. One, That's right. one huge one. <laughs> when I used to work in the field, I'd do assessments. And, you know, we would, of course, ask, you know, how much do you drink? I mean, they never told the truth. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I love this one. My parents in their 30s, let's buy a house. Me, if I don't eat tonight, I can afford alcohol. Ain't that I, the truth? It's the truth. It is absolutely the truth. And I love the picture because, you know, there is a demonic realm to all this. It you really know, we're is. not going into, you know, we're not going into the demonic realm, but there definitely is a demonic realm to all of this. There is. Yeah. So alcoholism, medical detox assists in the potentially dangerous process of ridding the body of alcohol. Mm -hmm. rehabilitation rehabs like inpatient outpatient so on and so forth deals with the thought process i.e the insane mind right. that's the ism part of the alcoholism the mm -hmm. stinking thinking in renewing of the mind healing the brain yeah so snapshot this is from boston university it's just a snapshot of um Drinking alcohol, how it shrinks the brain tissue. Yeah. It's pretty profound. Really is. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of wet brain wards, but they actually um, have had wet brain wards in psychiatric hospitals. Yeah. Where yeah. people have just drank so much that the, their brains are destroyed. Destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. So this snapshot is normal brain, brain activity and cocaine abusers after 10, 10 days of abstinence and then 100 days of abstinence. Yeah. So the brain is already healing. Yeah. Our brains are amazing. We are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. We really are. So I found this interesting. Domestic violence is the war fought at the home front. Mm -hmm. And these are um, brains of women who have been traumatized by domestic abuse. Wow. So let's take a peek at the addictive family system. So the setup, what happens to the family when addiction becomes part of it? 
So this is snippets from Tian Dayton's book, The Soulful Journey to Recovery. And I highly recommend her book. She is an amazing writer. And I believe she is also a person in recovery um, from growing up in these family systems. So families where addiction is present are oftentimes painful to live in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is why those who live with addiction may become traumatized to varying degrees by the experience. Living with addiction can put family members under unusual stress. Normal routines are constantly being interrupted by unexpected or even frightening kinds of experiences that are part of living with drug use. Mm -hmm. So alcohol is a drug. That's what Narcotics Anonymous says. Alcohol is a drug. Yes. A drug is a drug is a drug. So right. drug, the drug user, as well as family members, may bend, manipulate, and deny reality. In mm. their attempt to maintain a family order that they experience is gradually slipping away. The entire system becomes absorbed by a problem that is slowly spinning out of control. Mm -hmm. Great picture. Yeah. Little things become big and big things get minimized as pain is denied and slips out sideways. Mm -hmm. Going to come out. Yeah. As a result, they may resort to intense defenses such as shutting down their own feelings. So they're stuffing their feelings, denying that there is a problem. Rationalizing, intellectualizing, over-controlling, withdrawing, acting out or self-medicating as a way to control their inner experience of chaos. Yeah. Trauma in childhood can seriously impact development and can have pervasive and long-lasting effects. That goes back to um, the adverse childhood experiences studies that um, we are talking about a little bit last week. Yeah. We arrive in life only partly hardwired by nature. It is nurture that finishes the job. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Each tiny interaction between parent and caretaker actually lays down the neural wiring that becomes part of our brain-body network. Very mm -hmm. important. The limbic system is involved in motivation, emotion, learning, and memory. Wow. This is how our early experiences inscribe themselves onto our nervous systems. It is how our environment shapes our emotional being and our limbic system. Yeah. The amygdala, which is a brain center for the fight, flight, freeze, and there's also fawn response, is fully, it's fully functional at birth. Wow. So there's yeah. a fawn there too. Yeah, that's I've the people that. pleasing. That's okay. the people pleasing, trying to appease that person to in order that they don't go off. Wow, that's yeah. interesting because tomorrow on our walking in the word, that's part of what I've been given as a, to talk about tomorrow 
is a people pleasing, a fawning over someone. It's just one part of um, tr using trickery by deception. Yes. Even yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. So I'll be going into that tomorrow. Awesome. So the ability to escape perceived or real danger is one of the factors that determines whether or not one develops post-traumatic stress disorder. Wow. For the child in an alcoholic home, escape is often not possible. For this reason, ACOA, which is Adult Children of Alcoholic Issues, oftentimes surface in adulthood as a post-traumatic stress reaction. Yeah, because you couldn't do it as a kid. You yeah. just had to survive, right? Powerless, just powerless. Yeah. And what's really interesting, I, I can't remember where I read this study, but they were doing um, studies, research on why some soldiers develop post-traumatic stress and why some don't. And what their findings is, is the, the soldiers that develop post-traumatic stress came from a traumatic childhood. That makes a lot of sense. It's it's almost like you've got a, a bucket and, you know, if you go into it and your, your bucket's already close to full, it doesn't take much to tip it over, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is the symptoms that stem from childhood pain and abuse surface after the fact in adulthood. More research um, has shown that when women give birth, that can be uh, triggering trauma. But also if, let's say you were uh, molested at eight years old, when your child turns eight years old, that triggers it. It's yes. fascinating because we hold, we hold on to those memories. Right. They don't just poof, go away. Yeah, no, I, I know. I know from personal experience what you're talking about with yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Dr. Paul Hegstrom describes a phenomenon known as arrested development in which people are emotionally stunted due to past childhood traumas that occur before the ages of nine and 12 years old. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't fully agree with that time range because I believe it's you know, babies can be traumatized in the womb. Yeah. And, and so, but I totally agree with um, this arrested development because I've seen it time and time again. Oh yeah. I, you know, that was true for me. I felt like a little kid in a, in a dull body. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I've always thought about that when, you know, I could go in and, um, and get great jobs. I mean, intellectually, I was there and I knew how to present myself, but be on the job for a while. And the, the lack of emotional development was going to show up you yes. know, in a short, in a short order. Yeah, absolutely. So Dr. Hegstrom cites that most of the time, just the knowing that our behaviors have a source will restart the growing process. Denial blocks the growing process. So one of the things that um, I noticed early on in, in this Torah walk is that there's a lot of people with arrested development. There's a lot of super smart people, a lot of people that know that know Torah, mm -hmm. 
but there's so much infighting and arguing and, and it's sibling rivalry. Wow. Yeah. It's sibling rivalry. You know, people are triggering one another. I call them landmines. It's like Hasatan has uh, <clears throat> planted landmines in us as, as little people and in our relationships and marriages, we're triggering one another. Those, those are being detonated. Very, very interesting. Yeah. The mind needs to understand that there's a reason, not an excuse. As mm. we learn the truth about our past, we can begin to walk in the truth of who God, who Yah made us to be. Absolutely. Yeah. According to Diane Langberg, Complex trauma involves interpersonal violence that is usually repeated and chronic over time and involves profound relational betrayal, deception, and coercion. Mm. Post-traumatic stress is not a sufficient diagnosis for people marinated. I love that word, marinated in abuse mm. and terror over an extended period of time. Absolutely. Powerful. Mm -hmm. Complex post-traumatic stress disorder is the proper diagnosis for being marinated in stress. Yeah. 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 It's been stewing for a while, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. So maybe you could read that, Shell. Sure. Um, so complex PTSD versus PTSD. PTSD typically results from short-lived trauma or traumas of time-limited duration. The complex PTSD stems from chronic long-term exposure to trauma in which a victim has limited belief it will ever end or cannot foresee a time that it might. This can include child abuse, long-term domestic violence, being held in captivity, living in crisis conditions such as a war zone, child exploitation, human trafficking, and more. And this comes from beautyafterbruises.org. Which I highly recommend their site. Um, so for those of you that are listening, we are still working on the resource uh, page. We are going to have a plethora of resources for everybody to tap into. And of course, you can reach out to me or Shell. Yeah. And, and you started and we've got a new telegram group through Heart of the Tribe that you're, yes. you're, you and you're, you're administrating. And what's the name of that one? That is called uh, the Good Samaritan. Sorry. Good Samaritan. That's right. Samaritan. It, it left my brain too. So yeah, it is the Good Samaritan. And you can, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to be a part of that, you know, join our telegram groups and, and ask us and we'll make sure that you're plugged into that so that you have a group of safe people to discuss these different issues with. Amen. Amen. So the traumatic stress field has adopted the term complex trauma to describe the experience of multiple and or chronic and prolonged developmentally adverse traumatic events, most often of an interpersonal nature, sexual and physical abuse, war, community violence, and early life onset. These exposures often occur within the child's caregiving system and include physical, emotional, and educational neglect in childhood, <clears throat> excuse me, and child maltreatment beginning in early childhood. Mm -hmm. Now, Bessel van der Kolk, 
He, I believe, is a physician and he specializes in trauma. Okay. People who have gone through a long-standing, extremely traumatic situation may exhibit both physical and emotional symptoms related to their, to their ordeal. Mm-hmm. Emotional symptoms may include rage displayed through violence, destruction of property or theft, anger issues. <laughs> I had so many anger issues. Oh my goodness. Thanks. I didn't think I was ever not going to be angry. Suicidal thoughts. Could you read that, please? Sure. It says, just like my car light blinks red if something is malfunctioning under the hood, suicidal thoughts are indicators that demand a lifting the hood and getting help with what's lying beneath. That is Pam Canali. Depression. Denial. How are you? Fine. 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 Well, Frustrated, fine. insecure, neurotic, and emotional. That's right. That's right. I have a fear of abandonment. So a lot of people, they have abandonment issues because they were abandoned by their family. And, and uh, you know, maybe your, your father or mother was physically present in the home, but they were emotionally not there for you. Right. You know, they abandoned you emotionally and we don't understand the impact that that has. Well, you know, they were always home. Right. But were they emotionally engaged, involved right. in your life? Huge. It's huge. And, uh, you know, there's really no loneliness like the loneliness of, of being surrounded by people and you're desperately lonely because yeah. you're not connecting. Low self-esteem, panic attacks, and self-loathing. I know, Shell, <clears throat> for many, many years, I loathed myself. Yeah. And, it, you know, we are commanded in the Torah to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So what do we do when we were, you know, brought up in these family systems and we were taught not how to love ourselves property, properly? And I'm not talking about narcissistic, you know, Right. Love, but I'm talking about healthy self love, like embracing who Yah created you to be when he knit you together in your mama's womb. Yeah. I, I remember having, you know, uh, talks with Yah when I was reading the word saying that I was to love my neighbor as myself. And I said, Yah, if I did that, they'd arrest me for cruelty. <laughs> Because I am cruel to myself, you know, and I don't know how to do it better yet. But, you know, there is an answer because y'all does teach us. We've got a question here. Let me bring this up real quick. Yeah, I was reading that. And, yeah. and so <clears throat> I have another really great resource. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and I shared it in my um, I have a telegram healing for the nations. I have a resource for mamas. And um, so I'm going to provide resources that will um, help you in that, because that's a really great question. And it's so very important to yeah, address and, that. And for our for our podcast listeners, here's the question. Question. How do we as parents help our children to not have trauma when life can be traumatic for so many different reasons? How do we help them? So thank you for answering that, you know, with the, with the resources. 
great question. That is a great question. (laughs) (laughs) So traits of perfectionism. Shell, you want to read those? Sure. There's a fear of failure, then a procrastination, a focusing on results, setting unrealistic standards to reach a goal, and then being highly critical. Mm, Highly critical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Blaming others instead of dealing with a situation, selective memory, that blame shifting, it's everybody else's fault instead of owning, you know, owning it, owning up to it. Yeah. Yeah. Loss of faith in humanity. This is huge. Loss of faith in humanity, distrust, isolation, inability to form close personal relationships. You know, I mean, I think that this one's huge, even within our Torah communities, because this when when we're dealing with what you what you were talking about earlier, you know, we've got a bunch of people that have not dug into those issues. And then we've got some religious abuse going on. And, you know, and this interaction from kids that are all in trauma, you know, interacting with one another without dealing with the issues will cause people to pull away and become a bone out of joint, right? Where the body, it becomes a bone out of joint. Wow. That is so good. A a bone out of joint. Yeah, absolutely. Shame and guilt. Shame is huge. I had a well filled with toxic shame. And I used to think, Shell, if I could just get away from myself, I would be okay. But wherever I go, there I am. Exactly. I just wanted a vacation from myself. (laughs) I was always planning a vacation. And even like that fantasy, you know, well, tomorrow is going to be different because I'm going to do that. But tomorrow never came. You know, Mm -hmm. it was just a way to really disassociate myself from the reality of the situation. Yeah. But or, you know, life was like Groundhog Day. (laughs) Yeah, well. It really was (laughs) focusing on wanting revenge. There's a, there's people that get stuck in that bitterness and that resentment and they just want to see people get their just desserts. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, talk about the dissociative disorder falling into that and, and the fantasy life (laughs) that can take, you know, how unhealthy is that for our, inner being in ourself, right? Flashbacks, memory repression, disassociation. So I, I fairly recently found out that forms of disassociation can actually be sitting in front of the television, Uh eating pizza or ice cream or popcorn. That is a form of disassociation. Yeah. Take me out of me, out of my situation. Yeah. So victims of CPTSD may also have physical symptoms such as eating disorders, substance abuse, alcoholism, promiscuity, chronic pain, cardiovascular problems, gastrointestinal problems, and migraines. Once again, that goes back to the um, ACE study. Yeah. Very interesting. So let's look at snippets about the alcoholic dysfunctional family system. 
A dysfunctional family is any family with more than one person in it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hello, mental hospital. Yes, I would like to reserve a family suite. <laughs> I knew of a, a gentleman to where when he went into treatment, he just went ahead and the whole family went at once. The kids, the, his wife, all of them. He just checked them all in. <laughs> Well, that's why, you know, if it's if it's a really good rehab program, they will have a good family program because Absolutely. the whole family is is sick. Ill. Ill. Yes. Ill. What a, you know, affected. Yeah. Affected. Yeah. I, I hate that name. Sick. Yeah. That word sick. Yeah. Okay. Let's, is good. Yeah. Let's look at the rules. This is really interesting. Okay. And, and think about what's going on in the Torah community. Okay. okay. The rules. Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel, don't think. Yeah. Don't talk about what is going on behind closed doors. Keep secrets. Shh. Don't tell nobody about what I did or said to you. Right. And it is the secrets. I mean, this comes up in my life over and over, and I had to learn it on a level. It is the secrecy that keep you stuck and, and ill, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In troubled families, abuse and neglect are permitted. It's the talking about them that is forbidden. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. Don't talk. Or don't me. trust. Don't, don't trust what you see, what you hear, what you feel, or what you perceive. That's gaslighting. Yeah. And, and what happens is you learn to, I mean, as a child, when this goes on, this was totally my experience. There was a lot more emotional, like gameplay on a level that I couldn't understand or perceive as a kid. And yeah, I mean, that was definitely what I experienced. And you learned to, that you can't trust yourself. Yeah. You can't trust your own perceptions. Right. Don't feel shame, pain, fear, anger, grief, outrage. So what do you do? You stuff it. Yeah. Don't think about what happened. Don't think about what was said, what was not dealt with, and what was not acknowledged. We we looked a little bit at um, in Second Samuel, King David, and the fallout of his whole family. His mm -hmm. family was very dysfunctional. It's because King David, his own sexual sins, he didn't address when his own children were acting out sexually. The rape of his daughter. Right. And, you know, even though he was angry, he never he never dealt with it. Yeah. And 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 when you're the leader, you've got to lead, you know, mm -hmm. otherwise things just go from bad to worse. Yeah. Remember, as far as anyone knows, we are a nice, normal family. <laughs> just playing that game. That's right. <laughs> Addiction and codependence can begin during the unsuspecting years of childhood, a time of innocence that was quoted by Carol Cannon in her book, Never Good Enough. Mm. Why is addiction called a family disease? Um, I know calling it a disease is controversial, but I like to look at the word as dis-ease. Uh -huh. I think that that breaking it down really helps understand it. Yeah. A state of not being at ease, not being in shalom. Exactly. 
Yeah, absolutely. So would you read this one, please? Sure. How the family is affected. As the chemically dependent person's behavior becomes more unpredictable, family members may focus more intently on trying to control the dependent person's unpredictable behavior. Many families have a tendency to feel they must protect the alcoholic member by helping them hide their addiction. This leads to dysfunctional family roles and can severely hinder a child's perception of what's appropriate when it comes to alcohol. Right. What's appropriate. Yeah. 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 Would you read this one too, please? Yeah. A family disease. Not only is the person dependent on alcohol identified as having a primary disease, but the family system becomes identified as having a family disease. When one person in the family is struggling with an addiction, everyone in the family is greatly affected. Right. It's that yeah. dis-ease. Homeostasis is is askew. Yeah. You know, what's funny to me about that is you see the family gets used to dealing with the addicted person. And a lot of times when then the person decides to enter recovery, the family just goes haywire because yeah. they don't know what to do with you anymore. No. I, I often said, sometimes I think that my family liked me better when I was just a disaster. They, yeah. you know, they, yeah. I, I was somebody they had to, that they could pity that they had to take care of. But then when I was sober and in my right mind and had my own opinions and my voice, they don't like that so much. Yeah, well, you're easier to control when you're a mess with your addiction. John Bradshaw, John Bradshaw has an amazing book called uh, The Alcoholic Family System. And that book was so helpful. He also wrote The Shame That Binds You. And his work on the family system is really an eye-opener. Wow. Yeah. So let's look at the roles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got the clown, the caretaker, the lost child, and manipulator, the scapegoat, and the hero. What, what I find um, intriguing is nobody is themselves. They're all hiding. They all have, uh, you know, something over, over their authentic real selves. Absolutely. So we have the addict, the enabler, the hero child, the scapegoat, the lost child, and the mascot. So we have the addict slash alcoholic. Mm. I love this. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. Yeah. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. He is like the farmer who came up out of his cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? That's a great picture. That's from Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. <laughs> so let's look briefly at the dry alcoholic home. Let's look mm -hmm. at uh, the dry drunk. Wow. 
The term dry drunk is used to describe a person who has stayed away from alcohol for some time, but continues to behave as if he or she is still addicted. Mm -hmm. A person who has dry drunk syndrome hasn't made behavioral or emotional changes or has started to regress to old ways of thinking. That stinking thinking. Mm -hmm. Remind you of anyone you know? <laughs> This is the person, and I see this a lot within the tour community, I hate to say. You put the plug in the jug, you put your, you know, your your uh, drugs down, you pick up the scripture without doing any healing, any addressing what was driving you to drink in the first place, and now you've switched addictions. Yeah. Now you have a, a religious addiction going on. And you're going around spiritually abusing people. Yeah. Torah terrorists <laughs> equipped for battle. <laughs> Some abuse is not physical. Abuse does not have to be physical. There's emotional abuse, psychological abuse, and spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. Enablers. I see enablers everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No, so I like this one too. The enabler, they're yeah. just so in love. Love is blind, and they're just enabling the person to continue with their chaotic, addictive, crazy life. Yeah, thinking yeah. that that's love. Yeah, saying that like as if love always has to say yes. All love always is, you know, doing what the the addict thinks is the nice thing to do, you know, constantly giving in and just helping them continue yeah. in their destruction. Yeah. When real love has the courage to stand up and say no more. Yes. Set done. boundaries and stand by yeah. that. Absolutely. Yeah. I love you enough to say no. Yeah. Exactly. Gives us boundaries. Exactly. Yes. So another snapshot of looking at the caretaker enabler, then the enabler and people pleaser of the family. They make excuses for the addict and they smooth over any conflict. Yeah. Doing things for other people. So there's a difference between helping and enabling. Mm -hmm. Helping is doing things people cannot do for themselves and enabling is doing things that people can and should be doing for themselves. Yeah, that's a great picture. Mm -hmm. Another snapshot of uh, a chief enabler. They're usually the closest to the addict and they are the protector of the family. Mm -hmm. So on the outside, they, you know, they're out, they're self-righteous, super responsible. They're the super mom, <laughs> sarcastic, passive, physically sick and martyr. And mm -hmm. in the inside, they're angry, they're hurt, they have guilt, and they have low self-esteem. And this is just a generalization. All of this is a generalization. It's right. just a snapshot of these family systems. I love this picture. Can you read that, please? Yes. It, it's this, you know, the picture of the faceless with all the different masks. The profound emptiness of the false self is depicted in this painting. Sure so, is. yeah. So it's like, hmm, which mask do I wear today? You know, and, and a lot of people are like chameleons because they don't have a true authentic identity. 
Right. And then it, that's what all of this is about is shedding those snakeskin lies and in becoming who Yah created us to be when he knit us together in our mama's womb. Who are we? Right. Yeah. I love this picture. The another picture of the false self, you know, mm -hmm. the mirror is just cracked and, and it's like looking into a, um, what is that mirror? Funny, a uh, funny mirror. I'm not like it. Yeah. Like at the, at the carnivals and stuff yeah. where they, yeah, they, it make you look fatter or longer or taller or yeah. 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 I love this picture of this inner child, a scared little boy who's actually driving the bus. Right. Sabotaging your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The hero. Let's look at the hero. Responsible child, family hero. This is a child who is nine going on 40. This child takes over the parent role at a very young age, becoming very responsible and self-sufficient. They give the family self-worth because they look good on the outside. They are the good students, the sports stars, the prom queens. The parents look to this child to prove that they are good parents and good people. Mm. So the scapegoat. Can you read that, Shell? Sure. Don't believe what my family says about me, says the black sheep. <laughs> <laughs> I love that picture. Yeah, it's great. So the scapegoat, the identified patient or the problem child. Mm. They are the most, they, they're angry. They are the most emotionally honest child in the family. He or she acts out the tension and anger the family ignores distracts from the real issues in the family often becomes pregnant or addicted mm. Mm. <laughs> the lost child wow yeah those are powerful pictures they really really are would you read that please yeah the lost child is silent out of the way quiet and reserved the lost child is careful to not make problems gives up or ignores self-needs and makes efforts to avoid any conversation regarding the family's problems, wants to fly under the radar until he or she can escape the family, recognize that the best way to avoid attracting critical attention is to keep to themselves because they are out of sight, out of mind. They usually feel unimportant. The underlying feelings are guilt, loneliness, neglect, shame, and anger. So I was a lost child. And then when I got into my teen years, I was a scapegoat. And I was a scapegoat for many years. And then when I got into college, and especially when I was in an Ivy League college, I was the hero child. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 It's funny so, how it can change at different yeah. stages of your life. Yeah. I recognize yeah. that too. Mm-hmm. The mascot, woohoo, he's the life of the party. I had a role at that. <laughs> I can see that. So the mascot is a gesture of the family, tries to keep things happy, works as a distraction from the addict. Yeah. He's, the he's an, an approval seeker that is fragile underneath. Mm -hmm. You don't 
outgrow the effects of an alcoholic family when you leave home. If you grew up in an alcoholic or addicted or narcissistic family, chances are that it had a profound impact on you. Yeah. A quick word about narcissism. And I just want to interject here that there is a PDF available for in-depth study. It's a Bible study. And so um, if you're interested, please let us know. Eventually, we will have that available for everybody. Absolutely. Narcissists. What does the Bible say? So narcissism is the new normal. And 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9 gives us a really great list of characteristics of people in the last days who have a form of godliness, but no power therein. Wow. Yeah. I love this. I think this is um, by David Carrico. Um the Timothy Battle Project, Narcissism. And there is a very demonic realm to narcissism. Mm -hmm. Maybe one of these days, one of these shows, I will share my story about um, narcissism because it's very demonic. Wow. Yeah, we, we would like to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So the four stages of the narcissistic abuse cycle, they put you up on a pedestal, you become their idol, then they devalue you, discard you, and then Hoover. So we'll, we'll do a show and we'll unpack these, these different cycles. I'd like to have some guests on to really, yeah, um, experts. In yeah, that'd be, that'll be, uh, that'll be great. We're, re yeah. we're looking forward to that. Yeah. Arguing with a narcissist is like getting arrested. Everything you say can and will be used against you. And this is very true. One of the things with narcissists is they will act as if they, they um, are interested in you and they have a way of drawing out information. Right. And, right. and so what they're actually doing is heaping up information about you to um put in their arsenal yeah it's not a normal give and take relationship yeah. like mm -hmm. hey i'm getting to know you and you're yeah. getting to know me and yeah. we're developing a relationship it's not it, it no. is different it's it seems like oh somebody's so interested in who you are but they are just just putting things in the tool their toolbox for later yeah oh yeah <laughs> It's so frustrating knowing how terrible of a person someone actually is, but everyone loves them because they put on a good show. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Narcissistic parents constantly berate, humiliate, and criticize their children. The conformer golden child is used as a comparison to make you believe that you are inadequate. Mm. Narcissists. You want to read some of those words? Yeah. yeah. Well, they're bullies. I mean, that that one sticks out to me right away. They steal things as and like steal other people's work and pretend that they're their own. The gaslighting uh, denies, intimidates, uh, throws. I can't read that one. Uh, charms controls, betrays, yeah. smears, they lie about others, they taunt, they blame, 
You know, it's always somebody else's fault. They're moody. You know, you just don't know what to expect, right? People have to walk on eggshells yeah. and falsely yeah. false accusers. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a big thing I'm going into uh, yesterday. I mean, tomorrow too, on our ladies show, that aspects, that fawning nice. and that falsely accusing people. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. In summary, if you don't heal from what hurt you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. We repeat what we don't repair. Mm. How can I forgive when it hurts so much? I know for me, I had to ask the father over and over and over to help me to be willing to forgive. Yeah. I had a really hard time forgiving because some people did some really dastardly things, you know, throughout my life and really hurt me. And, um, you know, so I believe that forgiveness is a process. But for me, just like my addiction to smoking, I had to keep asking him to make me be willing to be made willing to forgive. Yeah, I, I love that, you know, because I think a lot of people you know, we come out of these major traumatic backgrounds and we expect ourselves to be able to just be perfect at it, that we've said a prayer and now my emotions should line up 100% and everything should just be erased. Well, in reality, it does not work that way. It is a process yeah. and it's, we just have to keep walking with the father and allowing his, his Ruach to counsel us to teach us how to think in a different way to get up out of the rut because when we've gone around that track and around and around and around we're in a rut and yeah. thinking and it's going to take the power of the ruach to get us up out of that rut and begin to think in a different direction it yeah. doesn't happen instantaneously absolutely so there is hope and healing hallelujah 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 become trauma informed. So principles of being uh, trauma informed is building trust, uh, creating safe places for people to come and heal. Because unless a person feels safe, they're, they're going to uh, continue to be on their guard. And they're not going to be able to let down um, their guard and to be able to um, unpack their pain and, and share their stories. So empowering them by providing choice, you know, um, Yahweh gave us the power of choice, free will, collaborating. You know, that's what we're doing here is we're coming together, um, building community and collaborating with one another and sharing resources. And just respecting that each each of us have different personalities, each of us have different callings, mm -hmm. each of us has different strengths. And, you know, just empathy and compassion, like the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan. Yeah. You know, learning tools. So I'm going to take you briefly through um, something that Dale Fletcher gave me permission to share um, Dale Fletcher is another great resource. And right there is his email. Cool. 
or his website. So a trauma-informed congregation ministry considerations for a trauma-sensitive approach to well-being. Educate, 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 educate the staff, elder, deacon. You know, this. when I do this presentation, I usually do it at churches. Right. Um, so whoever is a leader, um, it's really important that they understand um, and become trauma-informed. Um, understand the widespread impact of trauma and about potential paths for prevention and recovery. Mm. Create a multidisciplinary team if possible, doctors, mental health providers, um, pastors, congregation leaders, law enforcement laypersons, and recovery coaches. Mm-hmm. Review and reflect on what may already be in place to prevent trauma and to foster increased resilience both at church, whatever ministry is going on, congregations, and within the family units and the lives of individuals whom you serve. Consider what new prevention and or resilience initiatives could or ought to be initiated for youth, older children, and adults both those affected by trauma and for those who may have perpetrated the trauma, because, you know, this is not a popular um, thought, uh, but perpetrators of trauma, uh, pedophiles are not born like that. They are made. Yeah. That whole sentence of it's hurting people that hurt people. Yes. You know, and for us to to get to wrap our brain around that. Yeah. Yeah. Prevent, minimize secondary traumatic stress and staff volunteers and congregants towards learning self-care, create, maintain a predictably safe environment. So important. Yeah. And I know a lot of people that I've interacted with, they don't feel safe in a lot of the congregations, the Messianic congregations. Create and maintain a. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) Conduct education, Bible studies, sermons, messages that increase awareness and offer opportunities for spiritual and emotional healing. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that's what we're doing here in Heart of the Tribes. Yeah, absolutely. Offer safe and loving relationship building opportunities, one-on-one, small groups, 12-step meetings, yeah. inner physical healing opportunities for those affected by ACEs. And, and tell me, ACEs again is? Uh, adverse childhood experiences. Okay. And provide opportunities to experience the unconditional love of Yeshua. Yeah. Engage those affected by ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and the planning of initiatives. That's That empowers them. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Solicit other community resources that could assist you, referral sources and resources. There's, there's a lot of resources out there. And once again, in the PDF that my team and I put together um, that we're going to be sharing shortly has a plethora of resources and on that um, PDF is also um, 
a site where people can go to read more about adverse childhood experiences. Awesome. And, and we're going to have that available up on our Telegram group. I know that that's in the works. So yeah. look for that to be there. So consider if a community-wide effort to become more trauma-informed is warranted or practical. What might that look like? So I, I know for, for us, um, you know, just talking about this stuff is helping people to become trauma-informed. Right. So um, in summary, you either walk inside your story and own it, or you stand outside your story and hustle for your worthiness. That's Brene Brown. Yeah. What a powerful statement that one is. <laughs> My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Hosea 4, 6. Mm -hmm. Shed those snake skin lies about yourself. <laughs> you change your clothes, I change my skin. Get used to it. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty interesting meme. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I love that verse. Isaiah 43, 7. Yes. Absolutely beautiful. Yes. I know who I am. Yeah. And it's all, isn't it not? learning who we really are is it not a putting aside those roles and those rules yeah don't absolutely. talk don't think don't feel don't trust yeah it's it's learning to trust him in asking him to lead us in our recovery journey in helping us to have the courage and the strength to allow him to peel off those snakeskin lies so that we can become all that he created us to be. And these are the spots and the wrinkles on our wedding attire. And, um, you know, he's not coming for a child bride. He's coming for a mature bride. Mm -hmm. Yep. So break the chains of chosen ignorance and become educated. So next week, I'm going to be talking about... Um, What's your rubble? And it's recovery according to the book of Nehemiah. And I love Nehemiah because it is a great analogy of the recovery process. Oh, how interesting. That yeah. sounds great. Yeah, it's awesome. So I just want to thank everybody for um, tuning in. Thank you, Shell, so much for um, helping me by reading and, and just everything that... Um, you've been helping me with. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. And we're just, we're so happy to have you here on the platform and, and bringing this much needed information and revelation for the body so that the body can become strong and whole and, and the bone can come back to bone and skin and the flesh and the, and the breath back in the body. You know, that's what we're looking yes. for. And that's what we're working for here at Heart of the Tribe. So it's yeah. beautiful. Thank you. Ezekiel 37, the Valley of the Dry Bones. Yes. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, wow. Until next week, everybody, we bid you shalom. We do. Let me stop sharing this.
We are so glad everybody was here. You guys have had some great comments. Thank you so much for being here with us. And so we will say goodbye until next week. Yes. Sometimes I lay under the moon. I thank God I'm breathing. And I pray, don't take me soon. Because I am here for a reason. Sometimes in my tears I drown.